Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. Uh, we're starting a brand new book, a brand new study that I'm super, super jacked about today. We're going to be studying the book of Ruth. So I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ruth. It's the eighth book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. If you get to First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, you went too far. It's only four pages. It's a short book. And we're going to study that for the next four weeks. Now, just in full disclosure, this is basically a Christian chick flick. You need to understand that. It's only four chapters and it's, it's over, over 50% of this is dialogue and it's not exclusively, but it's primarily dialogue between two women. And I'm telling you what, this stuff is powerful. And the way that I want you to think of the book of Ruth is this way. Uh, there was a period, Moses led the nation of Israel out of Egypt where they were in bondage. Then Joshua led them into the promised land. Then uh, Joshua and his generation die and the nation of Israel just went off. They went to cuckoo land. They just went crazy and, and they started worshiping other gods. And, and so the book of Judges, when you read the book of Judges, the book of Judges is this continual cycle, okay, where they wander off from God and then God raises up a judge. Now a judge is not like a judge like we think, like a legal judge. A judge was almost a military leader and, and they had cool names like uh, Ehud and Othniel and Shamgar and there was a woman judge, Deborah and uh, there was, we think of Samson Samson was one of the judges and then the, the last of the judges was Samuel was also a prophet. When you read the books of First and Second Samuel, a lot of theologians think that Samuel wrote the book of Ruth as well, although there's, we don't really know but here's what you need to understand, really important to, to get this book the book of Ruth happens during the time of the judges Okay, and it's the Holy Spirit giving us a snapshot essentially into just one family that, that's going on during the period of the judges. Now ask yourself this, why would the Holy Spirit take a picture of that family and tell us that story? Right, the Holy Spirit could take a picture over here. The Holy Spirit could take a picture over here. The Holy Spirit could take a picture up there. Why would the Holy Spirit take a picture of this family and show us? And I'm just telling you this, and you need to be looking for this. It is going to reveal amazing things about the character and the nature of God and of the coming Christ, the coming Messiah. You're going to see things at work here where you just, wow, that, that is who God is. And we're going to see that this morning. And I'm telling you, this is a powerful thing that he's going to share with us this morning. So Ruth chapter 1, uh, if you'd stand to your feet for me. And if you're new, again, we don't... We don't up, down, up, down all the time while we're reading. But during the primary text, we stand. And it's just for us, it's kind of fun. It's a way for us to acknowledge this isn't just a book written by some hillbillies. This is a book written by the Holy Spirit. Okay? And he's speaking to us now. This is God speaking to us. So we want to pay attention. This is uh, Ruth chapter 1. I'm starting in verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Maomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they lived there about 10 years... Verse 5, both Malon and Kilion also died and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful to, that we can come and worship you, the great God of creation, the almighty God, El Shaddai, the almighty. And so we're grateful for that. 
We pray that you are receiving our worship this morning, that it's pleasing to you. We want to continue in that vein of worship by studying in your word. We thank you for this word, God, that you've given us this word, that it gives life and truth, that it speaks wisdom to us. We're grateful for that. And now, Father, we know that your Holy Spirit is present. What we're asking, Holy Spirit, is that you would give us understanding into what we just read, that you would speak truth to us where it needs to be spoken that your spirit would just have its way in us this morning as we hear your word. And we pray, Father, that the net result of all of this is that it just draws us closer as we get a greater revelation of who you are. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Uh, I don't know if you guys would identify with this, uh, but a lot of people just in general in their lives find middle school and high school can be potentially a really wonky time. It's just a weird time of life. And, and it's very difficult for some people. I, I, that, was, that was my story. Junior high, mostly, was just a really weird and difficult time in my life. And I never just went way off crazy. I grew up in a family where we always went to church. And so, really, I, I, especially starting my sophomore year in high school, I really followed Jesus. After, I, I knew that's what I wanted to do. But the middle school years were a little wonky for me. And I, never, I was never really tempted by uh, things like drugs and alcohol. That never really appealed to me. I just was never tempted in that way. Never have been. It just, it just doesn't appeal to me. But I still had some really, really rebellious years. I had some really rebellious middle school years. I'm a very strong-willed child. And so I had these years in middle school where my mother and I, like, there was going to be a homicide. It was just literally, I was like, it was, it was severe. And it was very difficult. And, and we've, we've had some, right? And so I distinctly remember one night I was in middle school and we were all at the table. And my mom and I were getting into it. And I'm just telling you, folks, I snapped. Like, I just went off the deep end. And after it happened, I remember the whole family just sat there and we were all just... In fact, my, my brother, we're 11 months apart, and my brother and I joke about it still to this day, and it wasn't funny at the time, but my brother just looked over the table, and he went, you're a freak. Like, it, it just, it, it was just like, you know, and, I, and I, we all just stood there and stared for a minute. Like, I just went off the deep end. And I remember after it happened, after a while, everybody just sat there, and, and I just got up, and I was just weeping. I just, I just went down and sat in the corner of our basement. I just sat down on the concrete, and like, I just thought, I've lost it. I'm just so far out there. And what I started to question in my own head was, have I gone too far? Will there be any return from this? Will I be sent off? Will I just be not a part of the family? Am I ever going to be able to be accepted here again? And I think probably if that's the case for me, I mean, I know me, I don't know your story, but I think for a lot of people, a lot of people have had experiences like that in general in life where you just went, oh my goodness, have I gone too far? And maybe I've broken relationships and will that relationship ever be repairable? Will I ever be able to speak into that relationship again? Will I ever be a part of that relationship again? And for some of you, if we're really honest, and, I, and I've just been so heavily burdened in the last couple of weeks when I've been preparing this message, I think there are a lot of people who, who just feel like in your situation with God, in your relationship with God, you're asking this question right now, have I gone too far? Have I, have, have I, have I gone past the point of no return? Is there any possible way that I could ever have a relationship with God? And maybe you come this morning, but you kind of walk in like this and you walk out like this. And some of you are sitting at home and you're wondering that too. You're wondering, man, could, could God ever accept me? Could, could, could I ever be right with God again? If you've wondered that, if you've ever wondered that, if you're wondering that now, if you're sitting here in this room and you're wondering that now, if you're online this morning, which by the way, good morning online viewers, your online host this morning is Pastor John. Is that Pastor John? So you guys weigh in online, but if you're online this morning and you're wondering the same thing, is it possible? 
Maybe I, I'm, I'm so far away from God. I, I, I don't know. If, am I past that point? Am I, am I past the point of no return? And I'm just telling you, if you've ever felt that, if you've ever wondered that, if you've ever thought that, you need to just dial in. You need to pay attention. You need to hear this word this morning. Here's our story as it starts out in the book of Ruth. It says this. In the days when the judges ruled Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. This would have been a really important phrase. And just so you know this, this, this is one of those series, I'm just telling you, where you're going to want to bring your Bible every week because there's all kinds of things you're going to want to scribble in it, underline, circle. You're going to want to write cross references in it. It's just one of those. If you don't have a Bible, just so you know, we bought them. We've already bought them for you. You don't need to buy one. They're on the high top tables out in the lobby. And we bought them, so you'll take them. You don't need to ask anybody. Just grab one. Just be aware we have them in two languages. So get the right one. We have them in English and Spanish. But when you read this, this opening verse, Ruth 1.1, the first half of this verse, this tells you everything you need to know for a backdrop. In the days when the judges ruled. Again, the book of Judges is all about the apostasy where, where, where Israel has just gone into sin and, and they just, they're tumbling, tumbling, tumbling. In fact, a lot of folks, if, if you don't know this, uh, when you read the book of Judges, you just need to be aware of this. Uh, theologians, experts don't actually even believe that the book of Judges is written in chronologic order. It's actually written from judge to worst judge to worst judge, just like this, so that you start to see it. Judges chapter uh, 17, Judges chapter 18, uh, Judges chapter 19 says it again, Judges chapter uh, 21, I think it is perhaps, but they all have this phrase, uh, that the days of the judges were the days when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Does that sound familiar? A little bit? Yeah, it's the days when everybody did what was right in their own eyes. That's what's going on during the time of the judges. They're telling you this story of Ruth happened in that, in, in that day when everybody just does whatever they think. Whatever they think is right, folks are just doing it. You need to know that. And then you need to know this, that a severe famine came upon the land. Okay, so again, further judgment on the nation of Israel. Now, when you get into the book of Deuteronomy where God's laying everything out, you just need to know this, that in Deuteronomy chapter 11, God says this to the people of Israel. Hey, if you'll worship me, if you'll worship me and not worship foreign gods, if you'll serve me and not serve other gods, if, if you'll be obedient, if you'll stay in line with what, what I've commanded you, I'm gonna bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. And then he says this though in the next verse, he says, but, but I'll bless you, I'll bless you if you'll worship me, if you'll serve me, but... Be very careful. Why would they need to be careful? He says, because of this. Don't let your heart be deceived so that you should turn away from the Lord and serve and worship other gods. And further, he says, because if you do, the Lord's anger will burn against you. He'll shut up the sky. Now think about this. There's a famine in the land. He'll shut up the sky and hold back the rain and the ground will fail to produce its harvest. You got a feel for what's going on right now? It's the day when the judges ruled. Oh, everybody was doing what's right in their own eyes. Guess what, everybody? Because of that, there's judgment. God has shut up the skies. That's why there's a famine in the land. That's what's going on. This is one of the darkest times in Israel's history. And I'm just telling you, what you're going to see in one of the darkest times in Israel's history, you're going to see how God behaves. And you're going to see the character and the nature of God just shine through. Then it says this further in verse 1. So, judges ruled, famine in the land. So, a man from Bethlehem... P.S. everybody, just you need to notice, names and, and everything are very important uh, in this book. Bethlehem literally means the house of bread. Did you catch the irony? There is a famine in the house of bread. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah left his home and he went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. And you think, cool, he packed up, went to a city, a different city. Not cool at all. 
right? First of all, first and foremost, you need to know this. Jews don't leave the promised land. It was the land of God's blessings. Many Jews felt that if they even crossed just the Jordan River, which is essentially the eastern border, if they even just went on to the other side of the Jordan River, they, they, they left the land of God. They left the blessings of God behind. That They were disobedient because they left the, the promised land. So first of all, he's leaving the promised land. Moab, so again, I think of the, the nation of Israel, the eastern border like this. You have the Sea of Galilee, then you have the Jordan River, then you have the Dead Sea, okay? Moab is right on the other side of the Dead Sea, basically from Bethlehem. It's only about 50 miles away. So they just went 50 miles basically to Moab. But to get there, they're not going to go through the Dead Sea. They're going to go down and underneath it. They'd go through the same, the same path, essentially, that they went through when they came from Egypt, where they were experiencing the consequences of their sin. Now they're going to come through that wilderness again. Then they step into the land of Moab. Okay, the Moabites, everybody, were, so, were Satan worshipers. That's what kind of place this is. They're Satan worshipers. And here's the crazy thing. Here's where the land of Moab gets its name. A lot of you remember Lot. Do you remember the name Lot? Lot is the nephew of Abraham. Abraham is way down in Ur of the Chaldeans. It's modern day Iraq and God calls him. Uh, Abraham, his wife Sarai, uh, Lot, and then Abraham's father. And they go up just north of the promised land. And then eventually God calls them down into the promised land. Lot stays with them the whole time. They make their trip to Egypt. They come back, long story. Anyway, they're both prospering greatly. Abraham and Lot are both prospering greatly. They got cattle and, I mean, big herds and big flock, right? And so Abraham said, hey, our herdsmen are starting to fight. And so we need to, we kind of need to separate. He says, you go whichever way you want to go and I'll just go the opposite direction. And so Lot, we're told, heads toward Sodom, Sin City. That's Lot. He's moving toward Sodom. The next time you read about Lot, he's living inside the city of Sodom. He's living in Sin City. And the next time you pick up about Lot, he's hanging out at the city gates. The city gates are where the movers and the shakers hang out. Think about it. Lot is now a mover and a shaker in Sin City. Okay, he's hanging out at the city gates one day and two men come to him and they're angels. I don't know that he knows that yet. And the angels say, hey, good to meet you. We're just gonna stay here in your town square. We'll just sleep here tonight. And Lot says, I don't think that's a good idea. Lot knows what goes on in Sodom. He says, I don't think that's a good idea. Why don't you boys come? You stay at my house tonight. The angels say, fine, we'll go to your house. They get into their house and a mob from Sodom forms and the mob goes to Lot's house that night and they're beating on the door and you, they say, you t- we want to see those boys that, that came to your house tonight. We, we, we're fixing to teach those boys a lesson. They're going to rape them. This, just so you know the difference, this is not homosexuality. This is rape. What is rape about? Power and control. That's what this is about. We're going to show you boys that we control you, that we dominate you, that we own you. That's what we're going to show you. Well, the angel rescues Lot. He says, hey, Lot, do this. You escape. There's a village up there. I'll take care of this. You escape to the village. Lot escapes ultimately with his two daughters. Got it? Now they're living in this village. On two separate occasions, get ready, two separate occasions, each of his his daughters get him drunk, have sex with him, and they both get impregnated. The one daughter's son's name? Moab. With me? This, the, the country land, this, this area of, of, of Moab is named after this incestuous relationship. Furthermore, as if there needs to be anything else, in Deuteronomy 23, the Israelites are told this, hey, no, no Moabite, and for that matter, no Ammonite, is allowed to come into the temple for the next 10 generations. Why? 
Because when the Israelites were traveling through the land, the Ammonites and the, and the Moabites would attack them. But further, they beseeched their God to place a curse on Israel. They were arch enemies of the Israelites. Okay, this guy, like things are a little uncomfortable for you. There's a famine. Things are a little difficult. And so, boom, just like that, you're ready to leave the promised land. You're ready to go to this nasty, incestuous city where they worship Satan, our arch enemies. That's where you're going to go? Like, why would he do that? Why would, look, 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 it's going to be difficult for you there. I get it. But God hasn't told you to go to Moab. You just went there. And the reason he went there was because he just thought life would be easier. He just thought it'd be more more comfortable for him. He thought maybe I can find work there. Maybe I can get a job there. Maybe it'd be easier for my family. Maybe it'll be, you know, maybe, maybe we can have a nicer house. Maybe there will be better schools for my kids. I'm just saying that sometimes we do that as well. We just go, well, and maybe that's not 100% right. Maybe I shouldn't do that. But here's the deal. It's going to be more comfortable for me. I'm going to do better at my job. I'm going to make more money. I can get a nicer house. It's all of those things. And I just want to stop and point out one principle to you, and that is this. The followers of Jesus pursue obedience even when obedience is uncomfortable. That's what followers of Jesus do. That sometimes for you, following hard after Jesus makes your life less convenient It makes it less comfortable. It makes it a little more difficult. Maybe you don't rise and climb the ladder at work. Maybe you don't get to have the big monster house. Maybe your kids don't get to go to the elite schools. But we pursue obedience over comfort. This guy has just said, it's just going to be easier for us. We're just going to head in that direction. I always think of the story of Daniel. Daniel was taken captive by the Babylonians, and he and a group of young men were taken. They take the elite, the really bright, the smart young men. And the king says this, here's what I'm going to do. i got these smart young guys. They're really talented. I'm going to feed them my finest foods and turn them into these, these really elite guys, right? But those foods for a Jew would have defiled them. It wouldn't have been right. And the Bible says this, I love it, it says Daniel made up his mind that he would not eat the king's choice food. It would have been really easy for Daniel to go, you know what, if I just kind of go along with things right now and I just kind of keep my mouth shut, you know what, I could get into a really a great place of influence and then I'll do something really good. Nope. Jesus followers, we pursue obedience even when obedience is uncomfortable, right? So then the story continues. It says, the man's name was Elimelech and his wife's name was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilian. Now again, names made a big deal. And I'll get to Malon and Kilian. You need to know this about Naomi. Naomi means bright and it means cheerful. But here's what's really interesting to me. Elimelech, the name Elimelech literally means my God is king. Very ironic. In the day when there weren't kings, they had judges. But it says my God is king. The guy whose name is my God is king moves to the nasty incestuous city that is their arch rivals and they worship Satan. Are you kidding me? So let me just point this out, women. I want to talk to single women. Just, I don't, we don't do a whole message for single women, but I want to point this out. It's really easy to have a name. It's really easy to claim a name. It's really easy to, to just grab onto a name. I'm not against dating apps. I'm not against the dating websites. But I know for a fact that one of the filters on there is Christian. Uh, women, listen to me just for a minute. Don't marry a guy because he has the name Christian. Marry a guy because he lives a Christian life. You with me? Elimelech has a name that says, my God is king. He doesn't behave that way. 
Women, don't get connected. Don't marry. You can have a date with a guy and you want to see his life. Take it slow. You want to see his life. Does he just say he's a Christian because it's one of the filters on this dating website? Or is this guy pursuing Jesus in the way that I want to pursue Jesus? Don't marry a guy because he marries the name Christian or holds the name Christian. And guys, the fact is it's true for you as well. It's true for you as well. All right. Then it says, uh, then it says this. They were Ephrathites. That's an ancient name for Bethlehem. So they were, they were uh, not just living in Bethlehem. They were, they were Bethlehemites. That's where they were really from in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. I'd underline that. Remember, Moab is this incestuous, nasty city. It's all about sin. And you know what? Now they're settling in. It's kind of like you poop in your diaper and now you're just going to sit in it. And that's what they're doing. Is that not the best church analogy? Maybe there's something. <laughs> if you're online, just Pastor John, just tell John, poop. Just put that in your chat bar, poop. But, but that's what they did. They settled in. They settled into all the customs, all the traditions of Moab, most likely. And we know that. We're going to see that in just a second here. But they're living like Moab. They just settle in, man. We just got comfortable. And that's what happens to us a lot of times. We head off, we're heading astray, we get into sin. And you know what, pretty soon we just decide, I'm going to settle in my sin. I'm just going to live in my sin. I'm good here. Yeah, it's a messy diaper, but it's my mess and I'll just sit in it. And that's what they did. They, they didn't just go to Moab. Like it'd be one thing to go to Moab and go, whoa, we are in the wrong place. Turn around, Psst, I'm out of here. They didn't. They just settled in. Then verse three says this, then Elimelech died. And Naomi was left with her two sons. Elimelech, my God is king, wasn't living like it, took off, headed in the wrong direction, man. That dude ended up in the wrong place and now he's dead. And Naomi's left with her two sons. Well, she's still cared for. She's still got two boys. She's still cared for. Then the passage goes on. It says, the two sons married Moabite women. Now, wait a minute, just stop. When they were living back in Bethlehem, do you think that a Jewish mother, do you think what she really wanted was for her two sons to marry Moabites? You think that's what she wanted? You think she wanted her two boys to, to marry two girls from Sin City knowing that they, they were going to uphold Jewish custom? You think that's what she really wanted? You think she just dreamed about the day when I can sit at a Moabite, you know, wedding? We're not going to observe our God at all? That's not what they wanted. But listen, let's not be shocked. Let's not be shocked that that's what the boys did. Mom and dad, you strolled off to Moab. Like, let's not be shocked when the kids head that way. Now, there's no condemnation. I know that sometimes, hey, kids got their own will and they're going to do what they're going to do. But I'm just saying that it's the old thing. Sometimes we say, hey, do as I say, not as I do. Well, people do what you do. Your kids are going to do what you do. It says one married a woman named Orpah and the other a woman named Ruth. Right? Unfortunately, then we're told this about 10 years later, both Malon and Kilion, the two husbands, they die. Malon means sick. Kilion means weak. Sick and weak die. That's what happened. Then it says this. This is the important comment. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. Now, I don't know if you know this, but in the ancient world, the worst imaginable position is to be a widow. That's the worst place to be. Because first of all, everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. It ain't safe for a woman. It's just not safe. And furthermore, she has no one to provide for her. She can't work. She can't own any property. She can't do anything like that because she's a woman. And so about her only option is to, is to be a prostitute. Her other option is really to be a beggar. And she's, she's at the mercy of everyone. She's at everybody's mercy now. 
Things are not good for her. It's just not good. And I want to just pose this question. Because sometimes we get in this position in our lives where we're in a really bad spot. And we sit and we ask, like, how did I ever get in this mess? Why is my life like this? Why am I here? Why have things been so difficult for me? Why has this come upon me? And we, we always love to ask that question. God, why? Have you ever asked God why? Like, I, am I the only person in the room? Like, somebody just said, God, why? And so let's just talk about that because there are about four good reasons why you get into these terrible situations. And so let's address them just real simply. Number one, sometimes it's just life. I don't know how to tell you this. I don't know how to explain this and say it nice. Adam and Eve ate the apple, everybody. That's what happened. And when they ate the apple, sin entered the world. When sin entered the world, death entered the world. And sometimes there's no other explanation. Why do you have cancer? I don't have the faintest idea why you have cancer. What I do know is this. Adam and Eve ate the apple. Sin entered the world. Death followed sin. I'm sorry. Man, I just feel callous for saying that. Sometimes the reason you're where you're at in life, it's it's just life. It's part of it. But there's another reason. Sometimes God's setting you up for a miracle. Think about this. Sometimes you might have done everything right. You've been obedient. Maybe God's just setting you up for a miracle. Think about the children of Israel. They've been in Egypt for 400 years. They've been slaves. 400 years. Moses is going to lead them out. That's what he's supposed to do. God has called him to do that. God is calling them to the promised land. They're headed out. They're in the right direction. They're following God. And now they find themselves backed up against the Red Sea. And now that they're backed up against the Red Sea, here comes the Egyptian army bearing down on them and they are going to wipe them out. What did they do wrong? They're doing exactly what they were supposed to do. But you all know the story. What happened? Oh, that's right. God splits the Red Sea. God splits the Red Sea. He set them up for a miracle. And now for the rest of their existence, and even today, Jews will tell you, that's the God who split the Red Sea and we walked through on dry land. That's the God who rescues Sometimes God's just setting you up for a miracle. Unfortunately, sometimes it's somebody else's mess. And, and that's a tough one to swallow. Sometimes you're where you're at because of someone else's mess. Some of you were married and you thought your life was good and you thought your marriage was good and you thought you were on the right track and your spouse went off and did something crazy and it's left you in a terrible place. I feel for you. It's terrible. It's somebody else's mess. It was outside of your control. Maybe a person was in their car and they'd been drinking heavily and you got whacked. Somebody you know got whacked. Somebody got killed. Somebody got injured. That's somebody else's mess. It's just the reality of life. Again, sin entered the world and these things happen. But the reality is, and what we need to be able to acknowledge is, sometimes it's your own mess. It's my own mess. It's our mess. We've created it. This is my diaper. I did poop in my own diaper. This is my mess. And we really need to be able to to, to acknowledge that. You know, we got to stop and we just got to own that for just a minute. We got to acknowledge that we headed off in the wrong direction. We took off in a bad way and now we're experiencing consequences. And I think one of the things that I want Christians to understand from the onset is you can't get to the right place by moving in the wrong direction. If you head off toward Moab, you can't get to the right place. Not if you stay in that direction, you just can't. And sometimes that's exactly why we're where we're at. Because we headed off in the wrong direction. You can't get to the right place when you head off in the wrong direction. I'll just say it just a slightly different way and maybe this will ring true with you. The wrong direction always and only leads to the wrong destination. Like this is true in my life. Sometimes I look at my life and I'm like, how did I get here? Well, it started like this. Right? 
If I stay on this course, it, it will never get me here. And this is where I'm supposed to be. When you start out like this, it only leads you this way. And we need to be able to acknowledge that, acknowledge that, that sometimes it's our mess. And the reason is because we've started out in the wrong direction. And what I want you to understand is you can't get to the right place when you head in the wrong direction. Now, now you'll be able to turn from it, but you just need to be aware. Again, Daniel could have very easily said, well, it'll get me to the right place if I eat the king's choice food, even though that's disobedience to God. Daniel didn't say that. Daniel said, nope, I'm headed in this direction because this is the right place. And if I go this way, it has consequences in my life. Just, just be aware of that, right? So what happens next? Well, Naomi hears in Moab, she's still in Moab, and she hears that the Lord has blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. She's heard about the Lord. She's reminded about the Lord. Word has gotten out in Moab, and she thinks immediately of the Lord again. Naomi thinks about the Lord again. She's reminded and I just think that's the key. Sometimes we've taken a step in the wrong direction and we're headed in the wrong direction and maybe we're just moving in the wrong direction. Maybe we're all the way in the wrong destination. But we've got to get reminded. We've got to think about God again. It's one of the reasons that we gather together regularly to worship because sometimes we're stirred and we go, ooh, that's right, that's right. Even if you, Look, if you're tuning in online, you're part of our church. We love you. You're part of our church. I hope that you're, you're reminded of things from time to time because we gather even like this online. Right? And then it says this. So, because she could have just heard and thought about God and sat in her diaper and just still sat there. But Naomi and her daughters-in-law get ready to leave Moab and to return to the homeland. Here's who they were. They went this direction and they ended up in Moab. There's Bethlehem and Judah back there. And now she's reminded about the Lord. And so what does she do? Well, I'm just going to stay here. No. She goes like this and she returns. In the Bible, that's what we call Repentance. Repentance is I was headed this way. I was living in Moab, but you know what? I got to stop and I've got to go back. You notice they didn't just go somewhere else. They didn't go to Edom. They could have gone to Edom. That was a neighboring region. They didn't go to Edom. They left Moab and they returned specifically to Judah. It's not enough to realize this is sin where I'm at is the wrong place. I'll just try this for a while. No, they returned to God. They're returning to Judah. That's what they're doing. Now question why is it that we can sit here in the wrong destination and it's wreaking havoc in our lives and we just stay here? Why, why, why do we do that? Why don't we say, you know what? This is wrong. That's where I'm supposed to be. And we're gone. Why is that? And I just want to get off the track just for a second here to, to give you this understanding. The primary reason that we don't do that oftentimes is because of shame. Shame prevents us oftentimes from leaving where we're at and moving back to God because we're ashamed. So let me give you two pennies worth about shame. Number one, you need to understand this. Shame is the weapon of the enemy. It's the weapon of the enemy. It's the weapon of the enemy. Conviction is of the Holy Spirit. Conviction is when the Holy Spirit says, talks to you and says, Neil, Neil, you can't behave like that, brother. You can't talk like that. You can't think like that. That's the Holy Spirit and that is conviction and I am grateful for that and that is 100% appropriate. Conviction by the Holy Spirit talks about what you have done. Shame is by the enemy and shame talks to you not about what you've done. It talks to you about who you are. You've done this, but you are a loser. You've done this, but you are no longer a child of God. You've done this and you are, with, you are outside of God's reach. 
See, that's shame, and it's the tool of the enemy. And if you start to experience shame and you're feeling shame, just know this. Oh, that's the enemy at work in my life. I've got to stop that. I've got to call it what it is, and I've got to return. But there's two things that shame really does. Number one, well, a number of things, but two primaries. Number one, it drives you away from other people. It drives you away from others. Like, you know when you've said something to somebody and you've greatly offended somebody, right? And then the next time you see me, you're like, hey, how you doing? Hey, good to see you. Hey, yeah, really good to see you. You can't even look at them, right? That's avoidance. And you'll avoid them altogether physically, right? Listen, sometimes some of you, it's been really hard to come to church. And the primary reason that it's hard for you to come to church, it's in the same place. There's no road construction going on. It's the shame. And the shame pushes you away from other people. Now, I'm going to say this really gently. And that's going to be a first. But I'll say this as with as much compassion as I can because it may only be a few, maybe there's nobody. But I find that sometimes for online viewers, for, there may be an online viewer too that the reason you're an online viewer is because you're feeling shame. And for that reason, I'm thrilled that we have the online option. I really am. I, I'm grateful. And maybe this is a step, but you need to declare that that's the enemy working in your life because shame is a tool of the enemy and you need to re-engage with the body of Christ. Now, obviously, people use the online right now, especially for all kinds of reasons. But I'm just saying, if that's you and that spoke to you this morning, I, I want to encourage you to call it shame. It's the enemy, it's a tool of the enemy, and return and engage. But there's one thing that's even worse, and that is ultimately shame drives you away from God. Shame drives you away from God. Genesis chapter 1, we read of the creation story. Genesis chapter 2, it blows up and, and gives us a, a, micro, a, micro, a microscopic view of the creation of man and woman. And then in Genesis chapter 3, you remember they ate the apple. And in Genesis chapter 3 in verse 10, it says they saw their nakedness and they were ashamed. See, their shame. And because of that, back up two verses into verse 8. Chapter 3, verse 8, it says this, that they hid from the Lord. See, that's what shame does. It drives you away from God. And some of you right now, your relationship with God is very distant and you don't really fully engage. And I've been there. I've been there because you feel shame. Okay, stop. Acknowledge what it is. It's a tool of the enemy. The Holy Spirit speaks conviction. The, the, the enemy speaks shame. And so if that's you this morning, don't, don't, don't let the enemy have his way. You got to re-engage. You got to re-engage with God and his people, both, right? Now, what happens from here in our story is that uh, she's going to return to Bethlehem, to Judah. And the two girls, her daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth, and they say, oh, you know what? We'll go with you. We're Moabite women, but we love you and we will go with you. And Naomi turns around and she goes, well, here's the deal. You, you girls, you're young. You can still marry. I, this is what they would have done in Jewish culture. If, they, if, if she'd had other sons, the other sons would have married her the girls, right? But he says, I don't have any other kids. And by the time I have sons, if I could ever have sons again, by the time I raise them up, it's gonna be, you, you can't wait forever. You girls go back home. And the girls say, okay, okay, okay. And then they both say, no, we're not. We're gonna go with you, Naomi. You know, they could probably call her mom now. They go, we're gonna with you. And she says, no, no, no. You girls gotta go back home. Orpah literally means back of the head, back of the neck. Well, Orpah goes, okay, I'm going back to Moab. Got it? That's what Orpah does. Ruth means a number of things. Ruth means uh, compassion. Ruth means dew as in mountain dew. Uh, it, 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 it intimates at uh, fertility, at irrigation and fertility. Spoiler alert, everybody, you're going to see where that comes to play at the end of the book. You've got to be here all four weeks. It, it's going to blow your mind. 
right? But Ruth says, oh, no, 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 I'm going to go with you now. Just jot this down if you don't have your Bible because you're going to want to highlight this and write this in your Bible. Ruth 1, 16 and 17. Powerful words from, from, from Ruth speaking to Naomi. Ruth, the Moabite woman, says to Naomi, listen, Naomi, I'm not leaving you. Where you go, I'll go. Where you settle down and live, I'm going to live. Your people are going to be my people. Now, this is very powerful. She says, and big, big, big statement for a Moabite woman, your God is going to be my God. She's going to serve the God of heaven. And if you think that these are just Elimelech words, like I'm just going to say, no, no, you're going to see in chapter two, three, and four, you're going to see her follow through on that. She's going to make good on that promise. The God of heaven is going to become this Moabite woman's God. It's the most incredible story. And so Naomi and Ruth are headed back and it says this. So the two of them continued on their journey. And when they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was what? was ticked off, was resentful, was mad, was bitter. You left us. We don't want you back. I told you so. You you don't know anything. You're no good anymore. You were living with the Moabites. You settled in. Nope. It says the entire town was excited by their arrival. Man, are you kidding me? Is that really Naomi? Are you kidding me? She's back. We're so excited. Now, remember what I told you? Book of Ruth, snapshot into the period of the judges to reveal to us the character of God. Listen to me. This is the God that we serve. You've wandered off and you think I'm too far away and I'm in the wrong direction and God's ticked to me and God's like, yes, they're back. I can't wait till they get back. That's our God. Jesus was telling parables in Luke chapter 15 and he tells the story of the man who has two sons and the one son says to him, Pop, I don't care if you're alive. I essentially wish you were dead. I'd like to have my inheritance right now because I want to go and do what I want to do. And he basically goes off to his own Moab and lives a crazy life. And pretty soon he comes to his senses. What does he do? Stay there? No, he comes to his senses and it says he returns. And this is one of my favorite lines in all of the scriptures. It says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. How do you see somebody who's a long way off? You were looking. Thank you. You were looking. God was looking. This father is the representation of the father in heaven. The father was looking for his son. If you've drifted off and you're in Moab and you think you're beyond the reach of God, I just want you to know this. This is the God who sees. He sees you. He's waiting for you. He's looking, looking, look. Come on back. Come on back. Come on back. That's the God we serve. And then it says that the father just took off and ran after his kid. He hikes up his tunic, very undignified, and runs to his kid. You would never do that in the Hebrew culture. You know why? Because you're the father and you were the one who was wrong. And if that boy wants to come to me, let him come to me. Nope. Not this father. The father ran to him, ran to him. One of the other parables that he tells right there in Luke chapter 15, he talks about the man who has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders off and the shepherd left the 99. You got 99 good ones. That's pretty good. 99 out of a hundred. Nope. He leaves that one. He goes and grabs the other one. He finds him and it says when he finds him, he, he relates it to heaven. He says, there's more joy in heaven when one sinner repents than over the 99 who never left. That's the God we serve. He's looking for you. He's anxiously awaiting your return. If you've wandered off, he desperately desires you. And when you come back, he's like, yes, that's my kid. I'm so thrilled you're back. And he rejoices. That's the picture that we get here. They were excited by the arrival. Is it really Naomi? But here's the, here's the beauty of this story. And I just want you to catch this. It's, it's not that the, that's why this, this message is called more than a second chance. Because it's not that our God just goes, now, yeah, all right, I'll give, you another sec- I'll give you another chance. It's not that our God is just excited that you're coming back. You, you just got to catch this from the end of the, ver- the chapter. They arrived in Bethlehem 
in late spring. That's when they arrived back. They came back in the late spring. And here's the editorial comment on that. At the beginning of the barley harvest. See, this is is the harvest season. There's the barley harvest and then there's the wheat harvest. It's the whole harvest season. It was called the season of blessing. Can you even take that in? God says this, you went to Moab and you went there just so it would be easier and more comfortable. You were so far off and you settled in it and you just lived there in Moab, the nasty, incestuous city. But you remembered me. Something brought me to mind and you returned and you came back and I was so excited. But more than excited, I, I actually have a season of blessing ahead for you. If you're here this morning, man, I, hear you, I hope you hear it. I just hope you get a grasp. I just get a snapshot of the God that we serve who desperately wants you back. And if you're in the room or you're online and 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 maybe you've gone all the way to Moab and maybe you didn't go all the way to Moab, but maybe you just started and you started heading that direction. Listen, it's time to return, head back to the Father and you can go there with every confidence knowing that he desperately is watching for you and he wants you back. This God wants you back. And when he sees you, he's so excited. And not only is he excited, but he said, hey, Still want to bless you. It's the God that I am. Is God holy? Yes. Is God righteous? Yes. Is God just? Yes. But know this, he is full of compassion and his ways are gracious and his ways are merciful. And the key that you got to get about this is this, man, repentance opens the door for blessings in your life. We, we hear so much in the, in the church today, ah, oh, we've, we've, we've got to claim the blessings. I'm like, stop claiming the blessings and start living out repentance. Yeah, I, I believe we had a word. We had somebody who had a word in the first service and that is this, man. We're so, we're, we think repentance is weakness and we're so ashamed of repentance. No, 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 no. We celebrate repentance. We celebrate repentance, right? So every week at our church, and if you're online or whether you're in the room and you don't know this, if you're new here, we have a big so what every week. And the big so what is my way of just saying, hey, if you slept through everything, just wake up and just catch one line. This is, the, this is just the short version. This is what I want you to know about our God. A life once destroyed by sin can always be raised up and blessed again. You catch that? A life once destroyed by sin, totally destroyed, totally wiped out, that life can always be raised up. And God wants to bless it again, bless it again, bless it again, bless it again. Children of God, hear me tell you this. God wants to bless you. If you're not a follower of Christ, I want you to know this. You're not too far from the reach of God. God wants to save you and he wants to bless you, bless you, bless you. So here's the big now what this week. Every day this week, read Psalm 51. Now I know we're on a reading plan. Keep with your reading plan. But just read Psalm 51. Maybe you have your devotion, your reading time in the morning. Do this at night. Maybe it's the opposite. But, but I, I just want you to catch Psalm 51. Psalm 51 was written by King David and he'd, he'd uh, committed the act of uh, adultery. Most likely it's an act of rape with Bathsheba. She, she couldn't say no. He has his men go get her. It's most likely an act of rape. And then he has her husband killed, Uriah. And the prophet Nathan confronts him with his sin and David acknowledges the sin. Now listen to what he wrote in Psalm 51 in the context of that. He says this, uh, verse one, he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great cram, tra- compassion, blot out my, my things that were not so good. No, he calls them transgressions. That's sin. He acknowledges his sin. Verse two, wash away all my iniquity. There it is again. He's acknowledging his sin and cleanse me from my sin. 
Verse three, for I know my transgressions. David is acknowledging his sin. My sin, he says, is always before me. Verse four, this is the great confession of David. He says, God, against you and you only have I sinned. Like David is just coming clean. See, that's real repentance. Repentance opens the door for blessings. And then in verse seven, it's so great. He says, cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. One of my verse, favorite verses in all of the Bible, 1 John 1, 8 and 9, right? He's, first he says in eight, hey, if we, if we say no, we have no sin, we're a liar. The truth is not in us. But when he gets to verse nine, he says, but if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just. And he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's God. And then I love how he gets to this. Then verse eight, he turns to the season of blessing. He says, man, God, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed, let them rejoice. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. I I just hope that that, uh, you'll receive that this morning. Word from the Holy Spirit, wherever you're at, wherever you're at. Maybe again, maybe you're all the way into Moab. You're not beyond the reach of God, but you gotta return, you gotta repent. And maybe you just, you just, just, it was, it was just this. That, that's all the further you are. Hey, you, you can't get to the right place by heading in the wrong direction. You can only get to the wrong destination, right? Back on track. So Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that's in your word. Thank you that there is just life in your word. Thank you, God. We praise you as the God who is holy, who is righteous, the God who is just, but you are also the God of compassion, the God of mercy, the God of grace. And we're grateful for that. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit this morning would minister that compassion to us, your grace. But God, that it would, that it would move us, it would spark us to repentance where there needs to be true repentance, confession of sin, acknowledgement of sin, and then a return to you. God, would you help us? God, would you stir us? Would you stir this in our hearts? For those people in the room, if you're online, I'm praying for you as well. I'm praying that God stirs your heart this morning, that where there needs to be repentance, there's repentance. And where you need to sense the compassion of God, that he's excited, he's looking for you to return. 